the whole point of making a cold call, sending a cold email, doing outbound, the whole point is to start conversations. And if we can focus more on getting the person to reply to an email or get them to talk to us so we can get past the first 30 seconds of a cold call, there's less pressure on you as a rep. You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurelien Mottier, and I'm here today with Jason Bay, Chief Prospecting Officer at Blissful Prospecting. How is it going today, Jason? Great. It's going good, man. We were talking about beer before this, so you got me like, I, I'm ready for it, dude. I know. I know. <laughs> it's, it's a Friday. For the people listening to us, it's, it's 5 p.m. for me in London. It's 9 a.m. from Jason, I believe, on the West Coast. And yeah, we're just, we're just speaking about bills because this is what you've got to do on Friday. We, we work five days solid to get a few bills on Friday. I guess that's, that's the objective, right? Exactly. Yep. You grind all week to you know, get to that Friday and just shut it off. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you, you get a chance to shut it off over the weekend. And as I was saying to you, Jason, actually, I came across you through a podcast that I was listening and, and I think you did that last year with John Barrows. And in mm -hmm. fact, the first time I listened to your voice, I was having a few beers myself on holiday, relaxing on my sunbed, listening to you and John, kicking some great stuff around cold calling and sales and BDRs and stuff. I think we are evolving around beers. So next time we meet, we def definitely need to make sure it's, uh, it's somewhere where there is beers. Absolutely. <laughs> <Somewhere>. yep. <laughs> so today we'll speak about a topic that I know you absolutely love, which is cold call. Why do people hate them? But before we get yeah. into the topic and get into the conversation, would you mind, Jason, telling us a little bit more about yourself and the company you represent, Blissful Prospecting? Yeah. So the way that I got into sales was 2008. I was a freshman. We call it college here. You guys call it university. And I was going to be a forensic scientist. That's what I wanted to do is work in a lab, get into law enforcement, that sort of thing. And I sort of got into sales accidentally, like most people do. And I worked for a company where they teach university students how to run a house painting business. And what I didn't know in that job is that when I started that I would be going door to door. So my first sales experience was going door to door. The average paint job was around three to $5,000 US. So it was a decent purchase, but I hired a bunch of my friends to go out and go like door knocking for me, right? And I learned a lot of really interesting things during that time that I think really apply to, to business to business as well. And one of them was, I thought that if I focused on the houses that needed painting, that I was going to have a lot of success in those neighborhoods if eight or nine out of every 10 houses had peeling paint on it. But what I found out is that just because someone needs something doesn't mean that they want it or can afford it, you know, which I think is a really important lesson in B2B because we have so much more data, right? We can research a company, look at the people, and just because someone needs your product or service doesn't mean that they want it or have budget for it. You know, so we got to be a little more, and we can get into that a little bit more, I guess, intentional about how we target those companies. The other thing that I learned too, this is another really important lesson, especially for cold calling, is that when I would talk to people at the door and I'd say, hey, Ray, you know, nice to meet you, man. I'd love to like paint your house. You know, we're painting a bunch of houses this summer. No one was interested in talking to me about that. But if instead I focused on the free estimate, and the peeling paint that I noticed up on the fascia boards up there, people were a lot more receptive to talking to me when they didn't feel like I was trying to sell them the very first time that I meet them. Again, how does that relate to B2B? Well, a lot of times when we're cold calling, what makes it really tough is if we start talking about our product or service. 
That's a sales conversation. And we have to separate those two. Prospecting the whole point of making a cold call, sending a cold email, doing outbound, the whole point is to start conversations. And if we can focus more on getting the person to reply to an email or get them to talk to us so we can get past the first 30 seconds of a cold call, there's less pressure on you as a rep because you're just trying to get the other person to talk. If they don't get into a conversation with you, they're never going to take a meeting. Right. So I learned that as, as a you know, 19 year old kid with braces, you know, selling house painting services. And the way I got into what we do at Blissful Prospecting was in 2013, I left that company. I worked with them for a long time as a sales manager, a VP of sales. And then I spent some time in their marketing department. I really wanted to help other companies figure out this outbound thing. And formerly with Blissful Prospecting, we've been in business since 2017, working with you know, professional services companies and SaaS companies, helping them kind of remove the suck from outbound by doing it in a more customer centric way. That makes sense. I love the fact that you started by door-to-door selling. This is what got me started in the space. I mean, I was technically overqualified to be a BDIs. Yeah, I've got an engineering degree and then I went to a business school, but I was sent to England to learn English by a company that I was working for in Paris. And then the, the, the units that I was working for got moved to some other places in the world. So I could not go back for that job. So I was kind of free. And I was reading a lot of biography of super successful people like CEOs, and stuff like that back then. And most of them said, look, door-to-door selling, telemarketing, recruitment. Like, if you start your career in that, enjoy it and are good at it, that's what made us a CEO. That, that, made some, that, that made people. So I just thought to myself, you know what? I'm just going to do that for six months. Like military service. I want to do it like a boot camp, see if I'm good at it, <laughs> see if I enjoy it, get that experience, but also working in the UK and stuff like that. And here I am now. I do appreciate what you are saying about, first of all, you know, getting into it. You get into it without too much training. And particularly when I started, I didn't get much training. In fact, LinkedIn was not really even a source back then. You had to go through the yellow pages and stuff. But then you find your way. And every single time you find something that works, it's mm. like when you play golf and you are not really good. You just remember the good shot. And that's what makes you come back yeah. the next day. You just, that, that, there is a sort of rush every single time you find a new strategy or a new tactic. And the door-to-door, I think, is great. But anyway, let's go on to the conversation, but I love your background. So cold calling is a bit of a dirty term, right? Nobody likes to speak about it, but I personally believe, and I think, you know, I was reading some of the reports from the Bridge Group, they, they would back that up. And we know that it's probably one of the most efficient way to create pipeline, most, more efficient than email. Of course, there is lots of other techniques like events and intent marketing and your website and lots of great stuff. But mm-hmm. I would like to get your thoughts on, Cold calling is an effective way to drive pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the data speaks for itself. I love Bridge Group and all the stuff that they do. But I think you got to step back and think about a couple of things in terms of, so I call this prospecting narcissism, right? You brought this up where we talk about our products or service, and that's really a symptom of the approach being about what we want from the prospect as salespeople. And when we approach it that way, we don't think about what the experience is like on the receiving end of a call, of an email, et cetera. So what we need to think about is what experience are we creating for the person on the receiving end of this? So if we were thinking user experience, the same thing that a product team would think about when they create outreach or sales loft or HBO or an Apple product, whatever, they put themselves in the shoes of the people using it. Mm -hmm. So if you put yourselves in the shoes of the prospect, what do we know about people's communication preferences? Well, some people like email, some people like phone, some people like social, some people like to text. You don't know what that is for your buyer, 
So if you only rely on email, which that would work on me, by the way, I'm not, I'm not going to ever pick up a cold call. I just don't. I don't have time for it. I, my phone is on do not disturb most of the day. I don't want that inbound kind of stuff. But you know what? A lot of people would much prefer a phone call. They're like, it's way quicker for them. Yeah, so you don't know what those preferences are. So that's, that's really the big reason for the phone is you're hitting people in a channel that they might prefer. The other thing too is, and what that bridge group study found and a lot of other very similar studies find is that any prospect you talk to these days, ask them how many cold calls that they get versus how many cold emails. And it's literally, the ratio is like hundreds of cold emails to maybe a few, half a dozen calls. People are not picking up the phone right now because they see studies, Ray, are they not studies? They see influencers on LinkedIn post stuff like cold calling's dead. So salespeople are like, oh, maybe I shouldn't call people anymore. Oh, oh you know, they said not to call on Mondays or Fridays because people are busy on Mondays and Fridays. You know, they're getting ready to drink beers or whatever, right? So people don't call on Mondays and Fridays. And, you know, it's Friday right now at nine o'clock in the morning, 12 p.m. Eastern time. And I have students in our outbound squad that they make cold calls on Friday afternoons and that's when they get most of their meetings because no one's calling people. That's what you got to think about is let's look at what the data says and let's, let's also try to do what other reps are not doing. Reps are not calling. They're not calling on Mondays and Fridays. They're not calling people first thing in the morning. Do the things that people aren't doing. I 100% love what you just said. As a rep myself, I've always been, before I, I kind of got more responsibilities, when I had less responsibilities, I used to leave everything to the last minute. I'm going on a trip to Bali for three weeks. I'm going to pack my bag literally 30 minutes before the plane. I'll just like that kind of don't care. I do it. And Friday was my best prospecting day. All my yeah. friends, in fact, I was in the UK, so people would go to the pub at lunchtime. They won't come back until two or three. And of course, there are a few beers. So everybody does reporting in the afternoon, right? I'm reporting to clients I've got calls. You want to go hunting when no one else is hunting. And also, I think the prospects probably don't want to speak to you too much between, as you said, during the day, because let's say you've got your student squad that you've got to deal with. So from 9 a.m., you're speaking to me right now. Someone trying to call you won't get you. You are busy. You know, your time between 9 to 12 is busy. Your time between 12 to 1, 1.30 is your lunch time. So you may do it at your desk or you may catch up. You may still be in meeting. And every, or up until the, re, the, the end of the day, you should be in meetings if you are an exec, right? Execs are not just waiting for the phone to ring. They're not salespeople, okay? So you've got to catch them when they are at the, their desk, but not with someone on a video conference or someone in front of them. And that's early in the morning, later in the day. It's Friday afternoon. It could be Sunday, you know, sending a few emails on Sunday evening, just catch, trying to get a response from people because you won't call them on their mobile on Sunday. It's a bit, it's a bit too keen, I guess. But I think we've seen so many SDR focusing their prospecting time during those hours. There was a book called The Fanatical Prospecting. He was speaking about the golden hours, right? You've got to pick your golden hours. Get prepared for them, prepare your list, prepare your stuff and go boom, 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 boom during those golden hours. I 100% agree with you. And also on the medium, I think you are right. I'm a phone person. You send me an email, I don't really want to read it. But if you call me, and it's maybe because of my industry and what I do, I will always give you a chance. If it's a recruiter calling me and saying, hey, I want to do your recruitment. I'm already equipped. So how do you think you are different? Give me the true reason why you think you are different from what I already have in place. Or tell me the three things that I'm not doing properly. And you know what? Most of the time, it's them giving up on me. 
not me giving up on them, is they don't know what yeah. to say. They don't know what to say because they've not thought about me before calling me. So that's why I would like to get you maybe with the next question. Do you think, because I think, I think that's one important thing. You open a, a cold email or, or you kind of give time to a cold call for relevance, right? So how do you get the relevance quickly? How, how do you get to it in the best possible way so then people can give you either response or a bit of their time? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways you can think about this and I like to look at things in frameworks. So if we kind of step back a little bit, let's talk about why it's important to be relevant. In the first, the way I chunk the cold call together is you have your intro. That's the first part of the call. It's the first 30 seconds. The only goal of that is to get to the next part, which yeah. is the hook. The hook could be one to five minutes long. This is where you get to ask maybe two or three questions. You get to figure out if it makes sense to do the next stage close and get a meeting. So in that intro, what you need to do is get the person's attention and get them like leaning in so that you can ask them questions and get a conversation started. The hardest part with a cold call is getting like momentum. The momentum in the call dies when someone like you asks a question and they don't know the answer to it or they weren't prepared to answer it or the person gives an objection. Like you want to increase the momentum. And the way that you do that is by adding something relevant. There's a lot of different flavors of relevance. So I think we should talk about that. So I, I work with a company. I can't mention the specific name of the company, but what they do is they help provide automated welding solutions for large manufacturers. So what's going on with manufacturers right now? We could look on a really, really high level and we could say there's a huge labor shortage right now. So the American Welding Society came out with this big piece on the demand for welders is growing by 4% every year, but the supply of welders is decreasing by 7%. So there's this huge gap and all these companies are really worried three, five, 10 years from now, how are they gonna find qualified people for these positions when there are fewer and fewer and fewer of them and it's taking longer to hire? That's something that's gonna be relevant for every manufacturer. So we have stuff that's like more industry related that's very up in the clouds. And then we can also zoom in and look at stuff that's very specific for that company. They're hiring welders. Yeah. Interesting. They create products that we could help them automate that traditionally they might have a tough time automating. So yeah. when I go to actually cold call, I want to mention some of that stuff in the intro. And there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. About, but I'm a really big fan of removing the surprise, introducing myself, doing a quick permission-based opener, and then telling them the reason for my call. So, hey, Ray, Jason with Blissful Prospecting here. I know I probably caught you in the middle of something, but I did some research. I noticed you're hiring welders right now, and I wanted to ask you something about that. Do you got a minute? For me to tell you the reason why I'm calling, you can let me know if you want to keep chatting. So very upfront contract, Sandler, you know, kind of side. I love permission-based yeah. openers. And I can drop something that's relevant and that it's going to grab your attention. You're hiring welders. Oh, cool. That's going to be something the VP of operations, their persona is thinking about. Nine times out of 10, if you do this properly, the person says, yeah, go ahead. What do you got? Or they might ask you a question. If, if they're like you, Ray, they might be like, okay, well, how can you help me with that? I would actually let you ask your question first and come to see what you've got to say. I think it's two things that I want to pick up from what you just said. So first of all, when I was doing the job, I was probably not using the permission-based opener. You know, I would just go straight because my way of doing was if I picked someone, I would convince myself. I would be like a, like a boxer, like an MMA, MMA guy. If, I, if I'm Conor McGregor, I may, you may, may not want to be him right now because he's losing all his fight. Let's say he's lost fighter. last five fights in a row. <laughs> or I guess yeah, he's he just, lost five out of six. <laughs> and he's starting to break, to break his limbs as well, poor guy. But he's still making a lot of money, much more than you and I, though. Yes. <laughs> so that's fantastic for him. But, but let's say you, you are a fighter, right? I would always prepare myself for the fight. 
I would look at the prospect. I would research the person. I'll try to see if I can go on their LinkedIn. Do they like a specific football team or, you know, but I would not try to be boring. You know, you don't call people and say, hey, you've been to such and such university or hey, I don't know that you support that team. Have you seen what they've done at the weekend? But I will try to get an element of making myself 100% sure that if I grab that guy on the phone or that lady on the phone, I've got something of value to deliver them. I know it's of value. And if they don't listen to me or if they don't say yes to me, it's kind of their loss. That's kind of how I was pretty much taught, right? And, yeah. and you speak about permission-based. So tell me a bit more about how do you see permission-based working well for you? Why do you think it's working better? Yeah. And if someone is listening to this and they don't use a permission-based opener, it works fine for them. I'm all for that too. I'm all for yeah, what yeah. works. The reason why I like the permission-based opener is for two reasons. One, it allows the prospect to opt in. It's a bit of a pattern interrupt and in that they're not used to usually hearing that. So most of the time, what I'll get is like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Or, hey, never heard that one before, right? Depending on the industry that you call. The second thing, it kind of gives you a bit of a mental break as a rep and gives you a bit of a mental one where the person's like, yeah, go ahead. They're giving you the stage. They're saying, yeah, tell me why you're calling. I know that I got their attention for another 10 or 15 seconds. So nine times out of 10, no one, when I make calls, I can't remember the last time someone said no to that. But nine times out of 10, you should have a 90% effective rate with a person saying, yeah, go ahead. And I guess once you ask the first question, then you can pretty much go into the, the next scenario. You know, when you've got your first answer, you can, you can roll out to, to, to a bit more specific versus, you know, broadcasting something a little bit larger if you are just to go first. So that makes sense. Next question for you, Jason, is around relevance. So I think I love what you've got to say about the, 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 the manufacturing industry and what you're doing for your clients. That, that's brilliant. But obviously, you guys are smart and do that for a living. Okay. For the SDRs that are listening to us, right? So you are either an SDR that works for outreach or Salesforce or ServiceNow. And hey, man, you are lucky. You've got your sales playbook. You've got lots of support. You've got lots of content, lots of training, people support and stuff. Or you could be an SDR in a bootstrap company, you know, pre-serie A or serie A, figuring out the stuff, figuring out the ICP. If you're an SDR, what are the resources you can get or you can get to, to become relevant? How would you go about being relevant if you don't have the support of someone like you or a boss at work that can give you a little bit, you know, if you are a new guy, it's a new function in the company, where do you get that info? The internet. It's all over the place for free, most of it. So the welding stuff, that was a third party called the American Welding Society. That's not a resource that my client created. That's just out there in the, in the, you know, in the internet free for them to grab. So what I would think about is... And again, the relevance that you can add is stuff that's more bigger, industry related, and then you also want to find stuff specific to them too. So what you want to think about is a couple of things. So if we're making it relevant for the prospect, I want to look at three kind of main buckets. What do they educate their customers about? And this is more of a B2B thing. If you're reaching out to a B2B business versus a B2C consumer. So what do they educate their customers about? What do they brag about? So what are the accomplishments on their website? What do they really like? So if we're using another company I work with sells a CRM solution into higher education. So they sell into universities and colleges and trade schools and that sort of stuff. Well, the CRM will help them provide a better experience to the students that want to go to their university. So what do these universities brag about? How awesome their programs are? how successful their students are after they graduate. They're sharing stories like that, right? So what do they brag about? Those are things that I can loop in, right? And then the other thing that you want to think about is where are they investing? So that's the hiring. 
That's the new product lines, the new service lines, the, the things that mergers, acquisitions, all of that kind of stuff. All of that's available to you as a rep. You just need to figure out what are the three to five things that I find most common in the companies that I reach out to. So if you take 10 sample accounts, this will take a little bit longer when you do this the first time, but try to find the three to five things that you'll find that you find at every single account. Is it people that are hiring? Is it they're posting about students doing something really well? Is it that you sell a solution that helps with customer support and you look to see if they have chat on their website or not? Whatever it is, this is how you do personalization or relevance at scale. Find the patterns so that you can look for the same exact things every time. That's how you get the kind of stuff that's like specific to the company. Do you get the stuff that's more up here, the industry type stuff? What I would look for is a couple things. So get on Google and look for top podcasts in this area, top conferences, publications, trade shows. Look specifically with conferences. A really good one is look at the speaker list. Who are the influencers in that industry that are putting out the content? Bridge Group is an example of that. Bridge yeah. Group is an influential company in our industry that people they compete against use their data. Like I've competed against them on deals before. I use their data when I sell though. Kind of, kind of cool for them, right? It's branding for them. But like that resource, those resources all over the place. So even if your company has zero content, you can still go find this stuff. It's all out there for up for, up for grabs. I think it's for myself and the way I've done it again back in the day, I, I, I found the account manager that I was working with, the salespeople being very useful as well. You know, sometimes you get trained by someone who may be like a product marketing person or Basically, someone who's never sold the stuff before, but they tell you how to sell it, yeah. right? And yeah. then you start speaking with the sales guy and say, you know what, tear that off. Do a ball with it, you know, roll your seat a little bit further away and try to score a three-pointer. You know, it's, it's no point yeah. using this stuff. It's crap. What you've got to do is, this is the real issue we solve. That issue is the issue that the guy wants to solve in, the, in HQ, but quite frankly, that's really what people care about. And I think they kind of give you that sort of, pulse of what's happening in the market and what people respond well to. And also sometimes, you know, one of the things that we encourage our guys to do is, is to use prospect. You know, prospect that just close the door on you and say, no, I'm not interested. So, well, look, just please satisfy my intelligence. What is it that, you know, what would I have done better? And, and sometimes, you know, you may have one out of 10 that actually give you the pointer. And it happens to us on a, on a program where we were leading with artificial intelligence, machine learning, where the quickest are doing the stuff and blah, 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 blah. And what we were solving back then, what that solution was solving was using machine learning and artificial intelligence to make sense of lots of security logs so you can get to resolution of cyber attack quicker, okay? And one of the CIS or chief information security officer that was a prospective client said to one of my guy was like, look, I mean, I'm not going through anyone. I think my pitch is a killer pitch. But you guys just look at me like, and just know, what's wrong? I spoke to 10 people today. Is it me? Tell me. And I think he was just having a bad day. That guy opened up and said, no, you just focus on the wrong issue here, right? Our problem is a shortage of security analysts coming out of school. A good security analyst is someone that will be six months, nine months in your business. The problem we've got is that within six months, they get poached by someone else. And then it costs a lot of money to bring a new one. And there is a lot of turnover. And it's just difficult to have a full team. And yes, artificial intelligence and machine learning is brilliant, but we still need to have a human to make a final decision. And that's the issue we've got. The issue we've got is not having enough of those people. 
and the security alerts are everywhere, but we don't deal with them and, and all that sort of great stuff. And we completely changed the approach. And we yeah. spoke about the HR issue. And when you speak about the HR issue and you start potentially with a with a permission-based opener and you speak to a CIS or who's not an head of HR, I say, hey, I want you to speak to you about recruitment. Do you have a minute? And they must say, well, no, I'm not the right person. I say, no, but recruitment in your function. And then straight away, you strike a cover, like, who's that guy? What does he want? And then they let yeah. you speak. And so well, there is a shortage. And by the way, I've been on, on Sales Navigator, and I can see that in your team, you had a turnover of around 30% over the last couple of years. And I think that's got to be painful. I'm also looking at Glassdoor in where you are based in Chicago. And I can see that the average price of those guys are around $90K. And I know that the recruiter will charge you 20K every time you find one. So the cost of just changing those guys constantly is super high. Our solution could help you to retain those people for longer and remove that headache. Do you want to speak about it? And how we go about it? And people are like, yes. And literally, we went from zero conversion to 90% conversion. So it's, it's really funny how relevance work. And sometimes, you know, a prospect just tells you crystal clear what you should have done right. But because we don't ask them what we are doing wrong and what we should do right, you never realize it. I love that story. So it's using your prospects for feedback. I think as a SDR and BDR, a lot of times with the companies I'm working with right now are account executives. So I'm working with the AEs to help them with prospecting. And you know what's really interesting is because they see the sales process and they do discovery, there are so many nuggets like the one you just shared right now that would come out in discovery if you did good discovery. And a lot of times what I see is this barrier between AEs and the SDR team where they aren't sharing that information. Use what you learn in the sales motion to inform the outbound motion because you get that stuff. And if you're an SDR, BDR, get your AE to record the calls if they're not so that you can listen to them. Yeah. All of the information's right there. I think it's, the, it's, it's often the missing link. And, and this is why lots of people struggle with the account-based campaign. Is that, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, for account-based, you need the information to flow. Very, and you need to have that relationship. And we, we do encourage our guys. I mean, we, I know it sounds a bit cliche because everybody wants fans. But, you know, what we say to our BDRs in, in our team and SDR in our teams, we want your AE to be a fan. We want them to be a fan, not just like you. We want them to be a fan of you. Right. If your yeah. manager can get an email from your AE once a month saying that you're absolutely extraordinary and an asset to operatics, we've got an issue with you technically. Well, we don't go that far. But if you build that relationship, you know, this is that's for life. You know, an AE, an AE in his right mindset that's got a good BDR. I mean, this is like having a rough diamond in your back pocket. You want to cherish that guy. You want to, you know, it's you know how difficult it is for those guys to do a job if you've done it yourself and you want to empower them. You want to, you want to make sure that they are being nurtured and often this relationship goes a long way. So even in the future, they could use this relationship for their own development, right? But coming back to, to call calling because we, we can get carried away. I think you and I are passionate about all the tactics and things and all that. And, and I love the, the, the topic of relevance, I think is we could probably have a whole conversation about that, but why is it that you think that buyer eight cold calling? Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I, I think that just like anything else that you're resistant to that involves other people, if the experience is not a good one for the other person, you're going to not like doing that. <laughs> right. So we've already kind of addressed that part that we need to think about what the experience is like for the prospect. I think the other part, too, is if we don't come in with a talk track and a good plan of what we're going to talk about and feel confident in that, 
that's where the other part of call reluctance comes from. Yes. And I think that you have to really sit in the mind of the person that you're reaching out to. And a lot of people talk about how hard it is to be rejected, but you know, it's also really hard for people is rejecting other people. I don't know about you, Ray. I don't feel good rejecting other people. It doesn't feel good for me when someone reaches out and I have to tell them to stop reaching out to me. I don't like doing that. It doesn't make me feel good. And most prospects are not psychopaths. So they don't like rejecting people either. So you have to do this in a way where it's very easy for people to say no to you. So you can't need the meeting. But it really comes down to coming in and being prepped. So if you know that what you're going to say So one thing I want to add to that permission-based opener at the beginning is when the person says yes, the very first thing that you need to do, I'm a really big fan of dropping in priorities. So I drop in specifically what I'm hearing people like them focused on right now. So I immediately make the conversation about you, Ray. So if we're using that welding automation solution, it would sound something like this. And we just worked on this yesterday, so this might not be totally smooth yet. (laughs) So Ray's like, yeah, totally. Why are you reaching out? Well, hey, Ray, like I said, I noticed that you're hiring welders right now. And when I talk to VPs of operations, right now they're telling me that they want to accomplish a couple things. One is that they're hiring welders right now, but what's a really big issue in getting in the way of that is the labor shortage. So they're having trouble keeping good qualified welders around, and it's taking months to fill those positions. Two, what we hear them talking about is this focus around maximizing efficiency of how they're handling automation right now. So they're either in a position where they've tried automation and it hasn't really worked or they're doing it, but there's kind of these like high mix, low volume products that they haven't been able to figure out how to automate. I'm really curious which one of those two things is top of mind for you right now. I've thrown in a lot of keywords there, automation, welders, labor shortage, High mix, low volume. This is what they talk about a lot. This is in their language. Use their language, use their jargon. And, and also what I like in, in, in what you, you just went through is, hey, this is what I'm hearing from other people like you that I'm speaking with. I know I'm in that group. I'm part of your tribe. You know, And yep. you meet the two of them. Like I'm speaking to lots of people like you, so you can have a conversation with me. And you need to be make sure that you are good after. So if they get going, you, know, you, can, you, can, you can follow the flow, right? And yeah. then you're right, using those buzzwords, those words that you know every single time they drop, you know that you're scoring a point. It's a king, king. That's great. But again, you know, it's, it's coming to the relevance is how do you find that? Do you go and speak to existing clients about that? Do you go to probably AE, existing clients? How did you come? So you said that you, you kind of built that yesterday, right? So you had to get that information from somewhere. And I know the internet is a big thing, but did you actually get it from the internet, get it from your clients, get it from their clients? The best place is your prospects. So what we did together and what I'm training them on how to do is, so I'm not just doing this for them. I'm training them on how to figure this out. So it's a little bit of both. But the very first thing that we did is listen to calls with the account executives and they're in gong. So what you can do, I mean, all the calls are transcribed. I know word for word at the very beginning of the call, prospects will say, yeah, we're really struggling with this right now. Boom. I want to know exactly word for word, exactly what they say. And there's patterns across all of them. I interviewed a couple of their account executives. That's where I got most of it. And then the other parts too, is just with the SDR team that I'm working with is, hey, what do you hear a lot of people talking about when you make cold calls? When they respond to your cold emails, what do they respond with? It came up yesterday, there was eight or nine key words that they keep hearing coming up in the AE meetings, the discovery calls and the demos that they keep hearing in cold calls, they keep hearing in emails. And It's pretty easy to build a talk track if you just use the information and you think about what are my prospects 
sharing that's top of mind for them that also intersects, you know, if you look at a Venn diagram, that also intersects with how we help. So the information's there. And as an SDR, you can't use the excuse that, oh, we don't record or we don't use Gong. We don't use Chorus. Well, get your AE to record the call on Zoom. It's free for them to do that. Sit in on the call. Ask to sit in on a couple of demos. Do something, right? But the best information you're going to get is from actual prospects. You can get online and look at all the other, you know, kind of stuff and get some trends. But what prospects are actually sharing is going to be way more important. One, one other thing real quick, too, I think that's underrated is customer success and anyone who's delivering the product or service. So when they do these onboarding calls and they help the customer, there's stuff that comes up in those calls too. So talk to your delivery team or your customer success team. What are people coming to us? What problem are they coming to us trying to solve? How do we help them? What value do we get? All that information's right there. You also mentioned call reluctance. It's funny because we, we, I was speaking earlier this week with Sam Nelson from Outreach about call reluctance and, and as one of the, the issue for, for you know, BDRs to, to move or, or newly recruited people. That's kind of the first thing that people fall off from, you know, the correlative does, they just don't like calling. Do you believe that, that this is the main factor for SDR not being successful, call reluctance? Well, I think call reluctance is a symptom of them not having a good talk track and feeling right. comfortable like they know the person. Yes. So the call reluctance, I think, is a symptom. I rarely see people that are afraid of, like so afraid of rejection that that keeps them from picking up the phone. I rarely see that. It's more people aren't confident in what they're going to say because they put the focus of the cold call on mastering the pitch. Yes. Earlier, what you said, Ray, was we have a solution that can help make that go away. That's your value prop. It's pretty simple. (laughs) You talk about the problem, we can help make that go away. It's not, well, you know, we help so-and-so do this and we can drive ROI by this percentage and we worked with you. That's not a very good value prop. The value prop is... Here's what people like you are trying to accomplish right now and stuff that gets in the way and, and, and we can help with that. The cold call is not the time to dig into anything else besides that. Leave a cliffhanger at the end. So I believe 100% in 90, well, probably 99% of scenarios that it's the talk track in the messaging and that it's not customer centric and the person doesn't really feel like they know who they're talking to. Yeah, no, it's, it's, the, it's the right answer. I think you know, you're completely right. I think the, the call reluctance is, you have a small percentage of people that just don't like it, but try the job and think that they, they, they may would have been good at it and then try and just don't like. But that's probably more the, the, the introvert. In fact, we've seen some introvert being very successful at the job because they can put a mask on, you know, when, yep. they, when they're behind the phone. But I love, I love your response about the symptom. I love the fact yeah. that you know, it's, not, it's not the cause and what do we do about it? But what you need to do, you need to equip them with confidence. And equip them with confidence is making sure that they can they understand the why. They can understand the why themselves, the what, the when. They understand fully their pitch. I remember being an SDR, having to say something when I started. I had no idea what I was talking about. Literally no idea. You know, the benefits, trying to sell a solution. I won't mention their name, even if it was like many, many, many years ago. But it was quite a big company. And I was speaking about one of their networking solutions. And I was speaking about nodes and this and that. Absolutely no idea what I was talking about, what they were doing, how it works. But I was too scared to ask because everybody around me was speaking about it like fluently. So I was like, if I ask, I'm going to look so stupid. And I think that's that's also, but that, that was on me. I think that's on you. When you start to think that if you ask the question, you are too stupid. No, I don't do it anymore. Now I've got a, a bit of a status. If, if there is an acronym that I don't understand, trust me, I will just say, hey, what is it? And I'd be curious about it. But when you start, it's difficult to ask, particularly when everybody around you like use that sort of jargon. 
and, and, and use it fluently. So I agree with you. I've got one last question for you because we, we're getting to the end of the of the recording time, unfortunately. What do you think we can do in our industry to, to kind of change the bad reputation of cold calling? Oh, man. I think at first, as sales leaders, we need to arm our reps with the information that they need. Part, yeah. uh, where that starts is educating them on who they're prospecting to. So there needs to be very clear, hey, here's the persona, here's what they care about, here are the problems they're having, here's how we can help, here's recordings of us doing customer interviews for you to listen to. You need to help them build empathy for the people that they're reaching out to. So if we can shortcut that process, that's good. The next thing that we need to do is really focus on how can we arm the person in a way to where they have the ability to not wing it necessarily, but go into a conversation and know that that could go in a lot of different ways. And they have talking points and things that they can bring up. If you think about how you approach any other conversation in your life, you know, you don't just like talk to your friends or family or when you're meeting people out in public, you don't know what the end outcome of that conversation is going to be. You're totally fine with just being in the moment and seeing where it goes. Why wouldn't you approach a cold call like that? You know kind of what you want to accomplish, but also be open to the fact that it might not make sense to set a meeting. You know what I mean? So I think that doing those two things and making it more buyer-centric and customer-centric and really talking to the customer, what we need to do as an industry is if we make that cold call a better experience for prospects, people won't hate getting cold calls so much either. Yeah, 100%. In terms of the reframing in, in, and the conversation, one thing that we did a long time ago, we, we had one person that was uh, telling us about basically wanted to quit. And it, that person was relatively good, but higher expectation for themselves, if you will. Okay. So out of five conversations or 10 conversations, I think they were converting one meetings with, with a prospect. And the way we reframe that for them is to say, well, look, what's, what's your commission? I can't remember the exact number, but let's call it $100 per meeting. Okay. We say, okay, well, if you need to have 10 conversations to get one meeting, that means that every single time someone rejects you, you are making $10. It's fantastic. You know, because you get nine rejections to get one meeting, and that's when you get your $100. So when you get someone rejecting you, technically, it's pretty much $10 in your pocket. This is a good news. Reframe it into something positive. Not everybody will say yes to you. Yeah. It's actually completely normal that people don't say yes to you. But that guy in particular was just like, upset because not everybody was saying yes, yes to them. And, and, and it's yeah. quite interesting to also reframe the thing in a, in a positive way. So Jason, if anyone wants to speak to you, follow up on that conversation, or more importantly, engage with Blissful Prospecting, what's the best way to get hold of you? Our website, blissfulprospecting.com. So you're going to find a couple of things. So if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I just want free stuff. Yeah, that's all good. We got a, a podcast there. We have guides on the reply method, how to structure a cold email. We got video guides, all kinds of like just tons of free stuff there. If you're a rep looking for some help, we have something called Outbound Squad. It's a killer community of reps that are badasses at their companies. And it's got coaching, community, training content, all that kind of stuff. And we work with companies as well, too. So if you're looking for help implementing you know, this approach with your SDR, BDR team, or, or your AEs potentially, we're going to be able to help there, too. So blissfulprospecting.com is the best way to check us out. That's great. Well, thanks again, Jason. It was an absolute pleasure to have that conversation with you today. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.